Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Okay, we've all heard this one before. We should channel our inner child. Well, my guest today has actually made a career of helping people do just that. Jeff Harry shows individuals and companies how to tap into their true selves to feel their happiest and most fulfilled while rediscovering how to play. He's worked with Google, Microsoft, Southwest, NFL, Amazon, Facebook, and the list goes on and on to help them embrace play. Let's face it, most of us grow up and try to be something for someone else. As Jeff puts it, we pretend to be important and take ourselves way, way, way too seriously. So this episode is all about putting aside our boring adult self so we could unleash our inner child. Jeff shares two defining stories from his own childhood that helped to lay the foundation for the work he's doing today. He shares his definition of what it means to play, as well as the science and psychology behind why it's so important. We also talk about why adults forget to play. It's a really important question we should be asking. He stresses the importance of recognizing our own BS, and he shares concepts from his workshops that breaks down step-by-step how to bring more play into our lives. He also shares a life-changing question that we should all be asking ourselves each and every single day. You see, Jeff believes that when we play, that's when the real magic happens. It's when we become our most creative self. It's when we find our life's purpose. And it's when we feel most empowered to literally change the world. And I gotta say, I agree. And so I can't wait for you to hear this one. I'm so excited. Without further ado, let's jump in to the conversation. Jeff Harry, welcome to Inside Out. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. Man, I am uh, pumped for this and I can't wait to jump in. So I'm going to start by reading something, if you don't mind. And I just want you to, to listen and hear these words. How do you measure time? Some people do it by counting birthdays. Some do it by setting goals and marking them off as they are attained. Others do it by looking in the rearview mirror to elevate where they have been and endeavor not to make the same mistakes going forward. No matter how you assess it, you have to conclude that time is precious and should not be wasted. Try to lead a helping hand to someone each day. Missed opportunities rarely come back. Do what you can today for you are never sure of tomorrow. This does not mean you should be a workaholic. Take time to rest and reflect. You will reap great dividends in doing so. May God bless in your future endeavors. Always seek 
his invaluable assistance in all of your plans. Lovingly, and I'll let you finish it. Yeah, my dad. That was my dad. Wow, man. That's awesome. I've never had that read to me. Uh huh. At first, when you're reading it, I was like, oh, this guy sounds really smart. Who is this guy? <laughs> I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's my dad. Yeah, no, my dad passed away in 2015. And that was one of the last letters he wrote me. And when I hear that again, even before I realized it was him, um, I just think of this article I read where if you think about the amount of Thanksgivings you still have with your parents, it might be less than 20. It might be less than 20 more Christmases or Hanukkahs. And it just like, what do you want to do with that time? Like, what do you want to do with the time that you have? Because especially during COVID times, like, I don't even know how much time we do have. So what do you want to do today? Yeah. Thank you for letting me read that. I know it's probably a little emotional to hear it. And your story fascinates me. And I always take pride in going back and looking at the individual and understanding who they are and what made them who they are today. Part of what made you who you are today is a story you told about your frozen bangs with your hair mousse. So we're going to go back in time. I'm going to put on these glasses here. I'm going to put <laughs> Oh, look at those glasses. That's what I'm talking about. Oh. I want you to tell me a story about the time you went to the pool party and you got all ready. You got ready. You wanted to be invited and you got invited and you got there. And I, I, don't, I want you to tell the story about what happened when you got there. Okay. Well, I'll give you the short version because I got to give you a little bit of background before I tell you why I got there, right? You know, just picture it. Seventh grade, all I wanted to do was play Foursquare. That is all I cared about in life, man, was just playing. I looked forward to it all summer because there is no Foursquare during the summer. And I clearly remember like going out to the playground on the first day of seventh grade and being like, yo, this is it. Finally, I get to play and I get out there and no one is on the square. The squares are empty. And you know, four square, you can't play four square with one square. So <laughs> I run up to Jimmy and Matt and I'm like, yo, y'all, you want to play some four square? And they're like, no, like in this disgusted manner. Um, and, and they were like, do you know that Matt's going out with like Samantha and Ryan's going out with Judy. And I'm like, uh-huh. So do they want to play Foursquare? Because I'm just trying to get a count. And, <laughs> and, and, and what they were doing was they had now adopted this new game in seventh grade, which I didn't know happened, called Being Cool. And everyone was in on it. Apparently there was a vote and I didn't get to vote. And there are certain people that had just been anointed as the cool ones and everyone else was trying to get to their level. So the bangs part is I was so desperate to be cool because no one was playing four square with me. And after sitting for a few months and everyone ignoring me, I was just like, yo, okay. They were, I was like, what do I need to do? And my friends were like, get some Z Cavarici shirt uh, or, or jeans, acid wash, make sure. Roll them up nice and tight around your ankles so you cut off circulation. Get some Jabot shirts. And then what you need to do is you need to get some bangs, some long, luscious bangs. And I'm like, what? 
like I'm Filipino and black. Like my hair turns into a microphone. There's no way I'm turning this afro that I had into bangs. But they were like, man, if you want to get a girl, you got to get these bangs. <laughs> you know? So I remember stealing my sister's Vidal Sassoon moose or Paul Mitchell, whatever she had on the counter, <laughs> and just shoving it all on my hair, like using up half the can and, sh- and pushing my bangs down until they literally froze. And then I just thought, I have it. I'm going to get a girl. This is going to be amazing. And what people didn't tell me about moose is that it dries up by fifth period and those bangs turned into a raccoon's butt that's just emanating out of my forehead while I speak to women and being like, hello, ladies. How are you, ladies, ladies? Just nothing, getting nothing. So I'm doing all these things. I'm trying to get accepted. And then finally, someone tells me about this pool party. And just like anyone that is anyone is going to be there. I don't even know what that means. Um, and then they said it was invite only. And I'm like, this is freaking seventh grade, man. Like, you got to be kidding me. So I remember begging Antonio and Joey Via Gomez if they would take me. And they were like, maybe. And then I had to like courier. Remember those triangle notes? Mm-hmm. You know, I had to courier the triangle notes with their girlfriends and buy them lunch and do whatever I needed to do for two weeks so they would take me. And then finally it was the night of the party Mm. and I'm going right. And I'm in the car with Antonio and Joey and I am singing to myself, like going to go to the party, going to the party, but like trying to act cool, but I'm so amped with my acid wash swim trunks from Cavariches. I don't even know if that company still exists. And I remember getting out of the car and doing that slow, cool walk and throwing that towel around my neck, being like, this is the greatest moment of my life. I'm going to the party of the century. And then I remember this scuffle that was happening in front. And at first I was just like, well, everyone's trying to get into this party. So no wonder Um, (laughs) because it's the party of the year. Right. And I remember seeing this guy, Ron and this guy, like, I think Mark and somebody else that was there and they're all, they're all black like me and they're getting pushed by some of the people, some of the white kids that are there. And this guy turns them and can I swear on this? Yeah, go for it. Someone just says, get the fuck out of here. We're not letting any niggers in this party. I just felt like a, a punch, just like a, like a sledgehammer, like hit my gut. And like my like heart like sank to my spleen. And it was weird because I've never felt this feeling before, but I felt like water had like rushed up to my knees and then just froze. And I froze and we were 20 feet away. And all of a sudden I was five feet away and I was like, how did I even get here? And I'm like thinking like, like I'm a nigger. Like, are they going to let me in the party? Like, that's what I'm thinking. I'm just thinking like, I need to get in there. And I remember Antonio like turning to me and being like, come on, we'll be fine. And I'm like, no, you'll be fine. I'm going to be left out. Like, I don't even know how to get home from here. And I remember getting up to the front. They looked at Antonio, and then they looked at Joey, and they looked at me, and they were like, is he black? And then I didn't say a word. I was just silent. And then Antonio was just like, no, he's Latino, which is clearly not true. And I'm just sitting there just like, 
And then they just nonchalantly let us in. And it was just, it was nothing to them. It was like a shrug of the shoulders. But for, for me, it was like, it was everything. It was everything. Like all my belonging, all my worth, all of that in the shrug of their shoulders. And I remember crossing the threshold and first feeling this like immense amount of relief. And then I was hoping next like joy would follow it. And I remember walking through that door and then feeling like I just left all of myself back on that curb. And man, I had never felt such disgust and shame in my life, dude. Yeah, I never felt so lonely. I remember going into the pool where no one was playing. I remember just sinking down into that pool and just being like, I gave it all up for this. I gave up who I am for this. And I made a choice never to do that again. And from there, I stayed in my basement, made up a bunch of nerdy games, and no one would hang out with me. But then I just kept doing it. And then eventually, some of my friends started to find out I was doing these nerdy games at, in my basement where no one had to be cool. And people started showing up. And all throughout high school, like my basement was the place where you didn't have to be cool, where you didn't get judged, where you could just be you. And what's ironic about that is like, that's the work I do now. Is I create safe spaces for people to play so they can learn more about themselves. But it was just like it all stemmed from that moment of like giving up who I was for somebody that I didn't even really care about. Thank you for sharing. When I first heard that story, it really obviously, you know, hits you. And I, I mean, I'm a white man, so I can't ever know what it truly feels like. You know, I can have empathy. I can have sympathy. Uh, you know, I could feel emotion. But the reality is a white person doesn't know what that feels like. The topic of this show isn't this, although it is a story of how you became who you are and what you do with the work that you do. So I thought it would be a good way to start off to share sort of an origin story of how you got into this world of play. When did you watch Big? When did that happen? Because I'm fascinated by how movies play a role because yeah. movies can play a significant role in who we are and who we become. And that also was a fascinating part of your origin story. I think I saw that in third or fourth grade. Mm-hmm. And when I saw it, I was just like, I wasn't stuck on him like growing up and becoming a, I was amazed that he was getting paid to play with toys. And then his house was just full of toys. You, you would have seen it in my old place and now it's my new place. Like I have a basketball hoop in like a, like one that is in the arcades at my place. I have a foosball ball, ball table. I'm going to be bringing a huge arcade in because like I'm just recreating what he had at his place. And when I saw that movie, man, I was just like, dude, I got to start writing toy companies today. And I got hopped on my word processor and I wrote them for like three, four years straight. Wow. That's amazing, man. And I know you ultimately did get a job in the toy industry and we could talk about that in a bit, but let's, let's get into play. How do you define play? That's a great question. The way in which I define play is any joyful act where you are fully present in the moment where you have let go of results. And that's a key part of like letting go of the results and just falling in love with the process You know, you don't have anxiety about the future. You do not have regrets about the past. You are just like fully in flow. And it can be any joyful act. Mm. Okay, let's talk about that word flow because that's something I know you've talked about a lot. Describe what you mean when you say when you're in flow. When you're in flow, 
you forget about time. You know that you're fully being you. There's no more greater feeling when you talk to NBA players after they've like gone off and like they were in the zone. They don't even talk about the game. Like they don't even realize what the score was. They simply see the basket really huge. Everything is slowed down and they're just enjoying the process of it all. Mm -hmm. You know, I studied a lot of positive psychology and there's a guy known as the doctor of flow, Dr. Chikset Mihai. And he speaks about when you are in flow, the difficulty of the challenge meets your skill set. That's the exciting part is you're reaching your full potential at that moment. And when you're fully in flow, you see all of the opportunities in front of you. It's almost like when you travel and you're like, just open to the possibilities. And when you're not, when you're focused, when you're too much of an adult focused on results, you only see that one result and anything less is a failure. And you Mm -hmm. miss all of the trees, all of the dopeness, all of the opportunity that's in front of you because you're so fixated on just this one thing and you're out of flow. Right. You set these expectations. You don't see yourself hitting them or you're not hitting them. And therefore you're causing yourself to not allow yourself to have that state of flow and where time is a non-factor. I want to talk a little bit about the psychology here because you, you said positive psychology. What is some of the science behind play and, and how it can ultimately help us There's any number of people, and we're going to talk about the corporate environment, like Jeff Bezos talks about the childlike mindset. There's a lot of studies that have been done on this, the NASA and all these different studies. So what what is the science that you think would be most relevant to share with the audience to understand like why it matters? Yeah. So first, I just want to be clear, positive psychology is different from toxic positivity, right? Because I think a lot of times we think when we hear positive psychology, we think, oh, these are people that just want you to be happy all the time, (laughs) right? And that's delusional. And what positive Mm -hmm. psychology is, is allowing all of those emotions to feel at the same time. So like when my dad passed away, I I was surrounded by all his brothers that hadn't seen each other in 30 years. I felt joy that they were around. And then I felt guilty that I felt that joy because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm at a funeral. It's like, No, you're allowed to feel joy and also you can feel sadness. The whole Pixar inside out aspect of it, right? Some of the science behind play is if you think of times in which you're creative, innovative, taking risks, they're all moments when you're at play. You're fully able to see what's in front of you. And you're fully able to like really like read the room and pick up on nuances and things of that nature. And I think what's disappointing is a lot of companies want the creativity, they want the innovation, they want the collaboration, but they don't want the play that you need in order for that to happen. Mm, interesting. So they're not willing to do the play part. They want the result. They want the creativity. They want the innovation, but they aren't willing to be a Southwest, for example, or to do things like a trailblazer, like that company that allows their staff to get creative, which I love your piece on that. Why do we forget how to play as adults? I mean, you, you, I know you talk about leaving the playground for the last time, and I love that. What is the reason that we forget to play? I think one of the biggest reasons is the 40,000 no's. <laughs> okay. And what I mean by that is you were told 
And you, you at least heard 40,000 no's by the time you were in your early teens. That is some of the research behind that. You might have heard maybe seven to 8,000 yeses, but you've been told no so many times by your parents, by your teachers, by your school. You, on top of that, you're, you have to ask for permission. <laughs> and also to do anything, you have to ask for permission. And then, and, and then you get all these shoulds. Like you should be this, you should be that. What do you want to do when you grow up? So you're like, you're being fed all this propaganda of like, stop being yourself. How many times did you hear when you were a kid, like, you're so mischievous, you know, you're being too much right now. Stop being so much, you know, so that by the time you arrived to your teen years, like, you're like, well, I don't want to be too much. I just want to be liked. I just want to be normal. So whatever I need to do to be liked, <laughs> I'll give it all up. And that's why that story that I, I, sh- I share that story is because I gave it all up and it was just yeah. like, it sucked. And I did that multiple times. I did that when I joined toy companies and I was like, this is going to be amazing. And then you get there and you're like, oh, no one's playful here. Like this sucks. Like none of the things that I thought were going to be in big are happening. None of them. Mm. That's super disappointing. <laughs> like, like it, where's all the joy? Where's all the fun? And then I had to leave that because what did NASA say? NASA recently did a, a study like maybe two years ago where they found that kids when they were three years old are 98% creative. They did some test with them. By the time they were seven, it had gone down to 70%. By the time they were in their teens, it was around 30. And by the time you were like 18, 20, it was in the single digits. And it's just like that, like we, it's almost like we've knocked all that play out of people. So no wonder we're, where we currently are at. And I'm just here to just kind of maybe help a few people refine it, rediscover. It's interesting that the younger we are in our sort of our evolution of our, of our lives, we lose bit by bit our creativity. And it sounds to me like one of the biggest reasons is that we are trying to be something for someone. And in, in doing that, we have this perception of how we need to act and what we need to do. And maybe I shouldn't put on the shirt with the poop emoji. And maybe, mm-hmm. it's, too, maybe it's too much to wear a sequin jacket and do these things that we are conditioned to fit in. And your story is so powerful for that very reason. I want to talk about parenting for a moment, and then we'll get into a lot of the tactical pieces that you teach in your workshops. One of those is this concept of overscheduling our kids and making sure that they are in our image and they are doing what we want them to do because they're a version of us. They're just a mini us. Why is that a big mistake? I think it's a big mistake because it's like, why are you living vicariously through your kids? Like, why are you putting that burden on them? If you want them to become a doctor or an MBA star or whatever thing you're trying to force them into, guess what? You're just going to do the exact opposite because you're just going to cause them to hate what you are pushing. And a lot of times kids don't listen to our words. They listen to our actions, right? So they see that you're not pursuing your dream. They see that you're putting on all of like your anxiety and your insecurity onto them. And then they in turn adopt that. 
And if you really want them to like pursue their dreams or, you know, truly become who they are, allow them, give them the freedom to figure that out. Like I think of Randy Pausch in the last lecture, this guy that was literally telling his last lecture before he died. He's an MIT professor. And he's like, my parents let me draw on the walls. I showed interest in something and they would, they would totally invest in it. And then when I was bored of it, then they would move on. Like, you know, they played with my curiosity and allowed me to be me instead of forcing me to be a spitting image of themselves because they were so insecure about themselves. So if you really want to inspire your kids to show up fully, then you have to show up fully. You have to pursue the thing that scares you. You have to be vulnerable and around them instead of trying to pretend that you are a know-it-all because they know (laughs) you don't know it all. They might not be saying that to you, but they know it. Um, and then tying back into what you said earlier about like, who are you trying to impress? Like I ask that question a lot of the people that I coach, the you know, organizations I work with is like, who are we trying to impress? Are we trying to impress our competitors? Are we trying to impress our parents? Are we trying to impress the person down the hall? Mm-hmm. Will we care about them in a year? If you don't care about that person's opinion in a year, then why are you trying to impress them right now? That's such a great way to think of it. Like if anything, impress yourself, you know, impress the people that love you, but, but don't try to impress someone that you just don't care about. They're not going to be impressed regardless of what you do. And by the way, most of the time, they're not even thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. That's so true, man. We always get hung up with our, you know, wrapped around the axle thinking about what others think of us when nine times, 99 times out of a hundred, they're oblivious to what we're doing. They're not thinking about us. And if they are, it's probably because their own insecurity. You know, you talk about Ken Robinson and, and talk about the school and how school kills creativity in a lot of ways, because what we put at the top, you know, math and sciences and nothing, nothing wrong with that. But to a certain degree, we are, in his argument is we are setting up our children to be future professors and to, yes. to fit into this mold of what we think they should be as a result of scholastic achievement. When in reality, if you think about business and when you think about innovation and when you think about moving forward as a human of, of, of a civilization, as a society and humanity, it comes from creativity. And so I know I'm preaching to the choir on this one, but I love that. And I always love to share that part of the Ken Robinson story when he talks about the girl that couldn't sit still, sit still in class, right? And, they, and, they, and this was like in the 70s and people were like, oh yeah, you need to take her to a psychiatric ward, you know? Mm-hmm. So they take her to a doctor because they're like, I don't, well, their parents are like, I'm not going to take them to a psychiatric ward, but I'll take her to a doctor. And the doctor listens to the kid and the parents. And then he has the parents step out of the room with him and he just happens to turn on the radio before he leaves. And the parents are like, what's wrong with our daughter? And he's like, nothing's wrong with your daughter. He's like, look, and she's dancing. She's just dancing. And he's like, you know, nothing's wrong with your daughter. You have a dancer. And from there, they invested all of their time and resources into her pursuing dance. And she ended up creating Cats, one of the most successful musicals of all time. How many other kids right now are taking ADHD medicine or being told to sit still or whatever it is, and they have some genius that they're supposed to birth, and we are crushing that. That just amazes me. 
Yeah. And that's why the work you're doing is so valuable in your you're featured in the New York Times article. One of the things that stood out in that art in that piece is you talk about how adults spend a ton of time ruminating. I so agree with that. I wonder why why is that? Why do we spend so much time in our head processing, oh, should I sit should I should I did that differently or talk to this person differently or any number of things that we're overthinking? Why do we do this? And then the second part of the question is how do we stop doing it? Uh, we do it because we've been trained to do it, right? Like if you look at most social media or you just think about um, information, we ingest more information in a day than I think people used to ingest in an entire year back in like the 1950s, not even the 1930s, like the 50s, even with TV back then. So we're already being inundated with so much information and, and all that information is telling us, you suck. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. you're really bad. And the only thing that's going to get you better is if you buy this product right here and this product is going to make you better. So you keep, it keeps telling us how bad we are. So then we start questioning our own instinct. Am I bad? Should I get a Swiffer? Should I join (laughs) P90X? I'm not living my full life. You watch every infomercial. It might look like we are the saddest people in the world and just the dumbest people in the world. Right now, $5 billion goes to the weight loss industry every year. No one's losing weight. No one's losing weight, but we, there's a lot of money going into it. So it's it's we're constantly being told how horrible we are. And then on top of that, we haven't played in a while and no one is giving us permission to play. So you just being Billy when you are just having fun and being like, I'm going to wear whatever I want to wear and be my full self, you are actually doing a, a service to so many of the people you interact with because you're giving permission for them to play because you're the first through the wall because you don't care what other people think, right? And it, it reminds me of this YouTube video. that you, Everyone's got to Google this video of this guy who is just dancing at like a festival in Portland and people that. are just mocking him for like 10 minutes. And then finally, these two people join him to mock him, by the way, not to dance with him, to mock him. But while they're dancing, they're like, oh, man, I kind of like the vibe of this guy. And they're like enjoying it. And that causes two more people and then two more people. And by the way, they're at a music festival and everyone else is looking bored, mocking this guy, right? And then all of a sudden, after like seven people show up, it turns into 50 and then 100. And then all of a sudden, he has 300 people around him in less than a minute. And mm-hmm. it was because he was willing to look stupid. He did not care what other people think. And he was just being his full nerdy self. Anyone listening to this that knows my background or that was part of the trainings that I put on at Tesla or Solar City know that I've shown that video to hundreds and hundreds of people, if not thousands at this point, because it really is a great example of how you can just be yourself, just do what you want. And it's an interesting point about the mocking because those first early adopters, they were sort of mocking him, right? But what happens is, you know, more and more people see it becomes normalized and then it becomes okay, which I think we got to get past this point where we feel a sense of inability to 
give ourselves permission to play, which by the way, I, I see that as your book title, like permission to play, man. I could, I could see it, man. If you haven't, if you haven't already thought of it yet, but uh, I, lo- I love some of the, the things that you highlight in not only your work, but in other interviews that I've listened to. One of those is the quote that you mentioned in one of your medium articles, which is Elizabeth Gilbert quote about recognizing your own bullshit. Yeah. One last thing about that video. There's another video of that same guy that's 10 minutes long where they're laughing at him. And that's the part that is so fascinating to me about that. That's really interesting. Yeah. So I'll find that video. I'll send it to you. What I just loved is I recently was on this podcast called Project Woo Woo, where I had to embody Elizabeth Gilbert and be her for like an hour, which is super weird. But one of the most powerful thoughts that she shared was, I've never seen anyone go through personal transformation that hasn't got tired of their own bullshit. And my own bullshit most recently was, I don't have time to make videos. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hit and it was just like, hey, you know, you don't have work. You're stuck at home. Like, yo, this is it. What are you going to do? And I was just on another like podcast earlier and someone asked me like, what other ways in which you've had to call yourself on your own bullshit? And I thought of, it just like when I remembered not leaving the comfortable job because I was just like, well, I, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to start my business. And how many times have we felt like, well, I'm not ready until I get this one thing. So I kept telling myself that. Or in the, you know, in the love department, like I remember being like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to be with anyone because, you know, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings when clearly the bullshit was, I just didn't want to get hurt. And it took me like a decade to get over that and just be like, yo, dude, get hurt. That's part of it. Because part of the hurt, there's also the joy that you get. That's the flip side of life. You have to have both. And I remember recently even being in an argument with a a nine-year-old. It was so interesting because the (laughs) nine-year-old was like, I don't want to feel sad. And I was like, but you have, in order to feel just because she didn't want to take a risk. She didn't want to like, she didn't want to go on like this trip because she was just like, well, I'd be really, what if like we can't go? And then I'll be super disappointed. And I was just like, yeah, that's a possibility. You know, what if I don't, you know, I, I, I'm buying this thing from the slop machine, like the candy machine, and I want this certain thing. And then I get to this point, it's just like, yeah, that's part of it. It's going to suck. But also, there's immense amount of joy if you actually go for it. And it was just interesting watching her being like, I don't know. I don't like the fear. I think we're so scared of the fear of not just failing, but also the fear of succeeding, Mm -hmm. right? And what that might feel like, what it might feel like to really feel happy. Gay Hendricks talks a lot about this, like, the upper limit, you reach a certain level of happiness and then you have to self-sabotage because you're like, do I deserve this level of happiness? A lot of winners happen this a lot where they they win millions of dollars and then they spend as much money so they can get down to the $40,000 they used to make because they can't be there. They don't know if they deserve it. Um, And I think that's the thing we have to challenge ourselves. It's just like, do I deserve to be happy? And if so, like, what am I waiting for? We always, de- I feel like, default to this mode of pushing ourselves in the middle. We were afraid of failure, so we try to push ourselves up. We get too, but we get too close to success, we push ourselves down. Instead of allowing ourselves the freedom to expand into abundance and, and unlimited success and potential, 
how do we do this, Jeff? I mean, what you have some exper- play experiments. We could talk about those. You have some amazing workshops. You know, your future is where your fun is. How to not be a racist at work by accident. Dealing with a-holes <laughs> at work with play. So these are some fun titles of how you go into a corporation. And I and, and you know, we haven't even talked about my background. We could get into that maybe later. But I I did a lot of play because I, I ran training at Tesla, you know, for, for the sales org. So a lot of what we did was, you know, we did Family Feud and Jeopardy and nice. American Idol and all these fun, fun ways of connecting. What do you suggest for somebody listening to this show? How can they channel their inner child? That's a great question. I think there's a few things you first have to do. And I just recently learned this from my play mentor, Gwen Gordon, where she was talking about how you can't play until you soothe yourself, until you calm yourself. And I think a lot of us have a lot of anxiety, especially in 2020. And what's interesting about soothing is you adopt your nervous system from the person that took care of you the most. So you learn how to calm and soothe yourself from that person. So you first have to like look at that and be like, what wow. actually calms me? Like That's what deep. actually grounds me, right? Like what historical trauma am I taking on and how am I addressing that so that I can be calm enough to play? Because I get it. If you're feeling anxiety or frustration or fear, like you're not in a position to play. So let's just get there first. Even when I run a lot of my play workshops, I tell people just like, you can play or not. That's the freedom of play. You can sit on the sidelines, just like at a playground. And when you're ready, you can join in. And if you don't feel like joining in, totally fine as well, because that's part of the freedom. So first, identifying that. How do I calm and soothe myself, right? Then the second thing, if you're able to do that, then the next part is to get bored. And this sounds really weird coming from a play guy, but it's just like, think about when you were a kid. And you were bored. That's when you came up with the best ideas. Also, some of the worst, craziest, most dangerous ideas. But that's part of the reason, right? You just loved coming up with crazy stuff. Then you're like, I just wonder if I did. I wonder if I leaped from here to there. Could I do it? You know, like you just are like, you know, I wonder if I jump over this puddle. Will I make it? And then you don't make it, you know, like, but. So get bored. And how do you get bored? Stop binge watching Netflix just for a little bit. I do it myself. Get off social media for a little bit and just sit or walk or do something where you're just like, it's just you and your thoughts. And then as your thoughts, you know, spin and you start having anxiety and spin out of control and all these negative, uh, you know, inner critic stuff starts showing up, you just recognize it. You go, thank you, Gargamel. Thank you for showing up. Don't need you right now. You can sit in the back. That's how I like to do it. I like to address my inner critic by identifying the mean voice and then telling him to move away. And then I listen to that inner curiosity, like that inner child that says something, whispers. They don't even say it loud. It's like a whisper. And they're like, write that blog, make that video, reach out to that person you're scared to reach out to. Do that thing you've been waiting and wanting to do forever, but you've just been putting it off. And just follow that curiosity and just see where it goes. See where it takes you. And it might not be like pursue your passion. Like I kind of agree with Elizabeth Gilbert. Like forget about passion. Like that's a lot of pressure. (laughs) But you can follow your curiosity and see where that curiosity takes you because it might take you over here. It might take you over here. And if you think about your life afterwards, Steve Jobs talks about this a lot. Like, 
on the way back, you, it's not linear, dude. It's all over the place. So why are we planning our life in a linear fashion going forward? Mm-hmm. We have our best thoughts when our mind is quiet. And we talk about this a lot on this show because it's a show about insights. It's a show about moments of breakthrough, right? And our prefrontal cortex, and I know you know this, it, it works in such a way that it's, it's overworked. It's constantly trying to solve problems and constantly trying to come up with decisions on certain things. When we allow ourselves the time and the quiet space to think and to think in a different way than when we're normally processing, the, the reason why we have so many brainchilds in the shower or on the toilet or riding our bike or exactly. running. Exactly. Is because our mind is quiet, right? And I love that that your your advice is to get into a quiet place so that you can tune in. It's like a signal. You're tuning in to that inner child. I think that's really, really important. I want to like triple click on that because that's where it starts. Okay, so now you've tuned in to your inner child. How do you then make the leap to actually write that blog, to actually make that video? By the way, I totally relate to you on that. And while I've made some videos, I want to be doing a lot more videos, but mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, so, so I'm with you on that. When you hear that voice, how do you take action? How do you make sure that you're actually following through with that? Do you have any specific tips or tactics that you suggest? Yeah, I think the first thing is to identify why you're doing it. You're doing it for you. Don't worry about what other people are thinking. And if you're thinking about that and you're just like, well, I, I don't want to worry, but I am worrying. It's just like, well, just make it for yourself then. Don't share it yet if you're too scared to share it. But just mm -hmm. like, Try it, right? And as you and and B, while you're trying to make it, like take that one step and write like the first paragraph of that blog post. Set up that camera and turn it on. And while you're thinking, like, oh my gosh, oh, I'm looking at myself. Oh, I look so stupid. Uh, like, hear that inner critic, recognize it. I like to like name it and then be like, thank you, and then keep going. Just like make that first step, that first video, that first blog post, start writing that email that you've been putting off and just start and give yourself the compassion and all the empathy to be like, hey, I'm not going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Show up imperfectly. Perfection is just a waste of time. And frankly, and I keep saying this a lot, it's just like, I find most adults boring because the whole time they're trying to be perfect and normal. Mm. When I want to know the weird person, I want to know the weird, strange, nerdy you, right? Like, like, you know, I've been in the city forever. I'm surrounded by nerdy, crazy people all the time, you know, and I just recently moved to the suburbs and everyone's acting the same. And it's like, I know there's a nerdy, weird, strange person in you. Let that out. Stop acting like everybody else. Stop pretending <laughs> that you are not some yes. freaking weirdo. Like, yes. own your weird, man. Like, yes. we're all weird, dude. You know? So, like, don't hide it. You know, yes. you have one freaking life, man. You know, 200,000 people have died just in the last few months. Like, I don't know where I'm going to be like in a couple months or like heck in the next week. So I might as well show up because why else am I here? Unleash your inner weirdo. I'm totally with you. And we all have that person who wants to come out 
And you talk about how, you know, the most joyful moments are moments of play. One of the experiments that you recommend is asking two questions to your closest friends. And so I wondered if you could talk about those two questions. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I recently wrote this article um, and it was about something that came up with me a while ago because I did it for myself. And I was like, oh, wow, this is how I even came up with the, the title of my website, Rediscover Your Play, right? Is I reached out to my friends and this was really vulnerable and hard, but this is a great exercise if you're trying to remember who you are. And the first question I asked them was, it was like, what, what value do I bring to your life? I know that sounds weird, but just like, why are we friends? Like, you know, what do I do for you? Because I think a lot of times we don't realize like the magic that we do for our friends and family. And, and um, we kind of like just take it for granted of like, oh, you know, it's not special what I do. But when you hear it back from your friends, like it's just like, it's almost like a shower of just pure appreciation and love. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I guess that is who I am. Right. And then the second question I ask is, when have you seen me most alive? And it comes from the quote, you know, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive, because what the world needs is for more people to come alive. And the reason I ask that is just like, what makes me come alive? When am I most joyful? When am I most at play? When have you seen me most present? And your friends will tell you, and you'll be like, when was the last time I did that? Right. When was the last time like I did dance? When was the last time I did travel? You know, like I know someone right now who is traveling even though she can't travel. She figured out a way to do it virtually where she finds all these travel networks and connects with all these people that are from all over the world and she feels like she's traveling. Like she's just showing up, right? She's just showing up fully and nerdy. So it's asking those questions. What value do I bring to your life? And when have you seen me most alive and fully at play? And just see what comes back. And from there, that'll give you so many more clues as to where your curiosity lies and then just follow that. Okay, so so I love that you ended in that way because the, the question I was thinking is how do you then follow your curiosity? What what are the ways, if you're, if you're gonna unearth all of this incredible information from the people that know you best. How do you then take that, synthesize it and use it to follow your curiosity? So I think let's, let's do a tangible example, right? Someone's just like, I love how you make people feel safe. I love how you make people feel like connected to who they are. And then I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. You know, and then someone's like, and also you're just super playful about it. And I was like, okay, so I'm helping to connect people. I'm playing. I'm helping them like, you know, figure stuff out. Oh, rediscover. I'm re- helping them rediscover, wait, themselves, rediscover their child, rediscover your play. Like you just kind of like just play and start connecting the dots. You know, you can even ask your friends, like, look at this list of all these things. I even have this other play exercise I tell people where you have a play brainstorm with your friends. And you can do this over mimosas, by the way, which sometimes makes it even more lovely. Chocolate weed or however you want to get down, whatever you do, right? You know, whatever thing that makes you happy. But you even can do this virtually where you go, I don't play enough. You bring all your friends on virtually, you go, I don't play enough. When have you seen me most fully playful? And they just start saying all these things to you. And you write them all down, every single idea that they have. 
Oh, you could do this. Oh, you could do that. You know, one thing I do with my uh, colleague, Lauren Yee, in our Your Future is Where Your Fun is workshop is we actually have people explore what they used to do as a kid. And then we have them break down their play values based off that. I love to connect board games and make them into this epic long board game of Mousetrap, Candyland, Shoots and Ladders, Monopoly, Clue, all the way down. Then I would force my sisters to play it. They hated it, but whatever. What were my values? What were those core play values? Creativity, Mm. connection, and creating an experience. I take those play values and then I would share them with my friends and we would just brainstorm a bunch of ideas that tie into those values. You make this massive list, or as Lauren says, this idea pinata, and then you look at the list and you circle the one that most resonates with you. And then you turn to your friends and you go, help me, help me make this a reality. And then you just go from there. I love play values and identifying those. Just to be clear, those are the things that as you reflect and you look back at when you were playing, the things that you like doing the most, the things that really represent your your play style and your your passion and love of play. Am I, am I right? In yes, understanding? exactly. Exactly. It's, it's breaking down. Why did I love to make forts? Why did I love doing sardines where you pack in its flip, you know, reverse hide and seek? Like, what is it about that play that was so fun for me? Because, you know, sometimes you might even have to do the whole play thing like you did when you were a kid. Go play hide and seek as an adult with a bunch of other adults. It's freaking amazing, you know, by the way, you know, but, you know, when you do that, you might then realize like, oh, this is what I love about this. How can I now attach this to the work that I do now? Because you can definitely see that happening with the people that are really in flow now. They are connecting it to something they did when they were a kid. Well, one of the, the, the things that you highlight is a question that your friend asks uh, on a daily basis. Oh. About, so can you share that as we wrap, we wrap up here? Can you share that question? Absolutely. So my friend Desiree, who, who is living the van life, you know, she was traveling all over the world and now she like lives in a van and drives around. She doesn't live down by the river. She actually travels wherever she wants, right? She would start her day where if something good happened, she would then ask herself, how can it get any better than this? And she doesn't ask it from a place of like wanting and needing, but more from that curious place of like, ooh, how can it get any better than this? Someone just, you know, I just parked my van and then someone, you know, I slept in my van that night and then someone knocked on my van and was just like, hey, you want breakfast? You know, we just made breakfast over here. We're at the camping grounds. She's like, sweet, how can it get any better than this? You know, then she's hanging out with them and they're like, yeah, we're thinking about going to the beach later. Sweet. How can it get any better than this? Then they're at the beach and then she meets someone like freaking amazing that like she falls in love with. How can it get any better than this? Like following that momentum and positively priming your mind to look for what's good in the world and what's possible can create an entire different day. And frankly, maybe change your entire life. Stacking positivity. I love that. Last question. Who are the people and leaders, companies, individuals that are doing this right? Uh, I mentioned Southwest earlier, but who are some great examples? I mentioned Jeff Bezos. You know, who are the ones where you're looking at the overall landscape and it doesn't have to be in a corporate setting. It could be anyone 
that are great examples and why are they great examples? I believe Zappos is doing a really good job in regards to their culture and really connecting and allowing their employees to play. That has been really impressive. Um, There's a guy named Kevin Carroll who used to be the creative catalyst for Nike. And he is phenomenal. He wrote a book called The Red Rubber Ball, which is all about how this rubber red rubber ball saved his life. Just such an amazing story. You need to check him out. And he now works with a lot of organizations and he, and he shows them how to like let go of the result and focus on the process. And he was the one that put me on to the whole concept of your future is where your fun is in the idea of like the future, where people are having fun, that is the future. And if your company is not having fun, if your company is full of anxiety, stressed out all the time, you're the next blockbuster. And like, (laughs) it's your opportunity, right? You have an opportunity right now during COVID to rethink how you're going to treat your employees, to like rethink how you're going to make money, you know, to rethink how you're going to be empathetic um, and supportive and create a safe space for your employees to take risks. So what do you want to do? Do you want to do that? Or do you want to just be really scared and, you know, start looking for other jobs, right? Or, or, or letting fear run amok in your virtual meetings, as I've seen at some companies. It's just like, you have a choice right now. And you can show fully up in your, in your imperfect self and just be like, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I'm here to figure it, out, figure it out with all of you. And you will gain so much more respect and people will work hard for you, dude. And they will find their flow and, and y'all will create something amazing. You really will. Jeff, so, so, so grateful for you coming on the show, bringing your passion, your enthusiasm, your incredible insights when it comes to why play matters. You could find Jeff at rediscoveryourplay.com. And you can also find him on TikTok. If you want to get a good laugh, go check out his TikTok videos. There's some awesome ones. The handle is Jeff Harry Plays. He has that same handle at Twitter, Instagram, and Medium. You can find him on YouTube. You can find him like I did on LinkedIn. Again, Jeff Harry Plays. Where else can they find you and what did I miss? Bring us I, know, I think you caught it all, man. That was amazing. I could have done okay. it better myself. <laughs> right on, man. Any final words before we wrap up? Yeah, I always love doing this, man. You you remember Goodwill Hunting, right? Yeah, of course. And I just got a Goodwill Hunt your your listeners. We all remember that part at the very end, right? Ben Affleck sitting with Matt Damon at the construction site. And Matt Damon says to him, I'm going to be here for the next 20 years at Foley Field with you raising our kids and Ben Affleck's like, I'm going to kill you if you're here in 20 years. You're a genius. Like you have what so many of us would give anything to have. And he's like, Oh, what do you, uh, what do I owe it to myself? And he's like, no, you don't owe it to yourself. You owe it to me and everyone else at this construction site. You're sitting on a winning lottery ticket and you're too scared to cash it in. And, And that is the challenge I say to your listeners. It's like, we're all sitting on winning lottery tickets. Like it's time. If there's any time, it's now, right? And not only are you doing this for you, but there is somebody just like in that dance video earlier, 
that is waiting for you to show up so they can show up, so they can dance, so they can fully show up. Time to show up. Thanks for giving us permission to play. I'll leave us with this quote that you mentioned earlier. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive. Because what the world needs is for more people to come alive. Jeff Harry, thanks for being on Inside Out. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.